Lyndon B. Johnson's plane touched down at the Raleigh-Durham Airport on the morning of March 30, 1963. The vice president was in Raleigh to meet with the state's Democratic leaders. Accompanying Johnson was his wife, Lady Bird, who had her mind on matters other than politics. Upon landing, the couple went their separate ways after the NC State Drum and Bugle Corp greeted them at the airport. Mrs. Johnson jumped into what the technician called a shiny new Lincoln and got a police escort to NC State's campus. Because she had an interest in agriculture back in her state of Texas, Lady Bird had made a special request to see some of NC State's agriculture research. So on that March morning on the university's campus, she tasted dried sweet potato flakes that the Department of Food Science had been working on. She received an arrangement of red and white flowers from the horticulture department. But it was her first stop, a visit to the agronomy greenhouses, that was chronicled the most in reports of her trip to state. It was there that she met Dr. Walton C. Gregory, an agronomy professor. The pair had a connection by way of the peanut. She knew about them from Texas agriculture, and Gregory, four years earlier, had gained notoriety for developing something so cutting-edge its name seemed to rise in a spacey haze off the pages of a sci-fi novel. Gregory was known as the man who invented the atomic peanut. The atomic peanut didn't wear a monocle or a top hat, it didn't have a cane, and it couldn't talk like the peanut planters uses to move sails. But it did, in 1959, help alter the course of North Carolina's agriculture industry and aid growers around the state. And it made Gregory a certified crop science celeb, so much so that the Vice President of the United States' wife just had to meet him. I'm Chris Saunders, Associate Editor of NC State Magazine, and today on Hear the How, Walton C. Gregory and his unforgettable legume. Gregory was born in 1910 in Amherst, Virginia. He traveled about 20 miles south after graduating high school, settling at Lynchburg College, where he took a job delivering milk in the mornings before class. He graduated in 1934 and got both a master's and Ph.D. from the University of Virginia. He came to NC State as a professor of crop science in 1942. He started his work with corn there, and in 1944 he shifted his focus to peanut breeding. There are all these great photos of Gregory in NCSU Library's special collections. In each of them, he wears glasses and a heavy and distinct mustache. Looks very serious. Colleagues from the University of Florida to Oregon State University praised that very trait in him. In his professional life, he was a member of the Crop Science Society, the American Society of Agronomy, and both the Botanical and Genetic Societies of America. At some point, his attention turned toward radiation and its use in plant breeding. He saw it as a piece to a much bigger puzzle, that of finding more varieties. That is still the goal of peanut breeding, according to today's Walton C. Gregory at NC State. I'm Jeff Dunn. I'm an assistant professor at NC State in peanut breeding and genetics. Dunn is a former hockey player. He lettered in it at Michigan State, but he turned his attention from the ice to turf grass, got a master's in it, even has a Ph.D. in turf grass breeding from NC State, but now he applies his breeding knowledge to peanuts. And that's, that's how it is in breeding. It's, you know, if, if somebody could get to that level faster, they're going to figure out a way to do it. And that's kind of the approach, you know, what can I do to try and get more variation and get to a better variety faster? And, you know, at that time, you know, Gregory was thinking x-rays. Gregory started experimenting with radiation in the late 1940s with funding from the Atomic Energy Commission. He even participated in 1955 in the Geneva Conference on Peaceful Uses of Atomic Energy. In 1959, Gregory saw what was described then as a breakthrough. Here's how it worked according to a news story from the day. He toted 50 pounds of peanut seed in 1949 to the nuclear laboratory in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. 
Then he showered those seeds with x-rays, which changed or mutated the plant's cells and genes. Mainly the, the DNA makeup. He then planted those seeds at a research station near Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and subsequently at stations all around the state. It took some years and a couple of generations, but Gregory eventually saw fields full of multiple mutations, 11,000 to be exact, according to one report from 1959. Then he figured out what he wanted. Some of them were, you know, characterized based on morphology. Some of them were characterized based on yield. Some of them, you know, and so he would make selections based off of, you know, the agronomic properties, um, something that would have established better yield for, uh, you know, in the North Carolina areas. He honed in on one type, which had larger holes and showed more resistance to disease. He called it the NC4X, with the X denoting the use of atomic energy. Others called it the atomic peanut. A North Carolina State College agricultural geneticist has become the first American scientist to use atomic energy to develop an improved strain of a living thing, the news story read. Gregory had, as they said, quote, use radiation to develop a new peanut variety superior in many respects to peanuts now being grown, end quote. So what did that mean for North Carolina farmers? Well, first off, the peanut was and is invaluable to the state. It's very specific to this this region because we got sandier soils closer to the coast, and that's you know what it prefers. In North Carolina, we grow about a hundred thousand acres worth of of peanuts, and you know we're about twenty percent of the industry comes from, you know, kind of this region. So I cover Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So, and then between the three states, um, so we have something about 250,000 acres of peanuts that are grown here. The North Carolina Agricultural Experiment Station released the new NC4X seeds to growers for planting in 1960. That resulted in close to 10,000 acres of North Carolina soil being home to the NC4X variety that very year. He even packaged the seeds in a little blue box that tried to address a concern that would have arisen in 1959. Dunn even brings one to us when we meet with him for this podcast. And when he and I talk about it, he says that Gregory would certainly have had to think about this and anticipated the same kind of scrutiny GMOs face today. You saw it on the box. I mean, the box said, uh, you know, not for human consumption, it's just for growth. The radiation simply changed the DNA of the original plant. It didn't actually touch the actual peanut that came from the mutation many generations later. That's why the box also says, these seeds themselves not exposed to radiation. For Gregory, the atomic peanut brought some worldwide fame in 1959. It was featured in the American National Exhibition in Moscow that year. Its inclusion helped highlight U.S. efforts to use atomic energy in a peaceful way. And for the state's peanut growers, it meant even more work that built on the contributions Gregory had already made in 1953 when he developed the NC2 peanut, Remember, no X with that one, so no atomic energy was used. That variety increased planters' yields by 25% in the 1950s. All told, according to an NC State News release in the 1970s, Gregory's peanut research throughout his three decades at the university and the work that it launched by other scientists had taken production from 1,200 pounds to 3,000 pounds of peanut per acre and increased North Carolina peanut farmers' annual income by some $4 million. Gregory helped set the stage for the growth we see today. Since then, I mean, we've gone from, you know, 3,000 pounds per acre uh, to up to, you know, 4,000. Some people have hit 5,000. We have like a 5,000-pound club in North Carolina. Um, Some people have hit 6,000. And yes, Dunn says, you do get a plaque when you go into the 5,000-pound club. 
Walton C. Gregory eventually retired from NC State in 1979, but not before turning his attention and research to citrus trees that he hoped one day might grow and thrive in North Carolina's coastal climate. His wife Margaret had a Ph.D. and worked in the field with him on much of his research over the years. Despite his atomic peanut, it's his larger goal of natural genetic variability that Gregory is most known for. In fact, in 1961, the National Peanut Council awarded him its first ever Golden Peanut Research Award. He got $1,000 in a bronze plaque. But a colleague had to go receive the award in his place. Why? Gregory was a continent away collecting data on a South American peanut variety. Before Lady Bird Johnson left NC State's campus that late March morning 55 years ago, she got to see peanuts that had been exposed to radiation. Gregory even kidded with her about what the technician reports was a rather scrawny peanut. He told the vice president's wife that it must be from Texas. She told Gregory her time talking with him about his research had been interesting, and he responded with this, Well, I'll say it has. I'm usually used to talking to a lot of ugly farmers. Today's episode of Hear the How was produced by Morgan Holcomb. We want to thank Jeff Dunn for visiting with us today for this story. Given his role as a peanut breeder, he says he now eats only one kind of M&Ms. And when given a choice as to what would make him happier, remembering the glory days at Michigan State, beating his old rival on the ice. I had a winning record when I was at school there against Michigan. Or his own peanut, there's a clear winner. By far developing my own, pre- my own peanut. Former Cal's Dean Johnny Wynn offered his perspective on Gregory too, as he was a colleague of his. I also need to thank Kathy Doran Black, a University Archive Specialist with NCSU Libraries, for helping me with the research on Walton C. Gregory. I can't say enough about the staff at University Archives and how they have helped and continue to aid us at NC State Magazine with research for our stories. Speaking of the magazine, just a reminder that the summer issue is out. If you don't get the magazine and would like to, it's an easy fix. All you need to do is become a member of the Alumni Association. It's a pretty painless process. We thank you for listening to Hear the Howl today. We're halfway through our first season of the podcast, and we appreciate your support. Make sure you tell other alumni, friends, and family about us. We wish we could talk to you a little longer, but unfortunately we have to get to producing the next several stories that will round out the year for us.